Welcome to Grace to All. I'm your host, Paul Gray. You've probably used the word grace, sang Amazing Grace, or said grace at a meal. But did you know that God's grace is way better than we can even imagine, and that you and all people already have an abundant supply of God's unlimited amazing grace? Today, we're going to hear the truth about God's amazing grace to all people. So, sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired and awakened to the amazing treasures that you already possess. This is truth that you can handle. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Grace to All with Paul Gray. I know to a certain extent today that I'm preaching to the choir. Some of you have been in the choir a long time, some a medium amount of time. Some of you may have just joined the choir. Here's what I do when I teach. I share with you all what grace is revealing to me. Sometimes to me, it's a brand new revelation. Sometimes it's something that I've known, but I just seem to need to see it in a new, fresh way, sort of a refresher course to refresh me. Sometimes for me, it's seeing ultimate truth from a little different perspective than I've seen before so that I can better help other people better connect to grace so they can experience a better, fuller life. So maybe one of those things will be true for some of you today. I hope that there'll be something that will resonate with you. It seems to me there always will. All right. I'm going to start with a very simple, foundational, basic, ultimate truth that many of our friends, maybe even you and I, tend to forget from time to time. Here it is. The Trinity is all about relationships. The Trinity is all about relationships. You're not here with me, but say it with me wherever you are. The Trinity is all about relationships. And I'm going to go into a little bit about what that really means. Trinity, the three in one, in relationship, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the same essence, yet distinct personalities, oneness with distinction, perfect relationships. That's actually what holiness is in scripture. It's perfect relationships. And the Trinity have included you and me in that relationship. And they did that before the foundation of the world, before they created anything, before we came to earth and put on our temporary earth suit in our eternal spirit. See, we came from, you and me, we came from, we are included in, and will always be in perfect, all good relationship with the Trinity. Now, when I say that way, say it that way, it, it's kind of exciting, but in a way, it's impersonal. It sort of sounds like the answer to a theology test at seminary. But for me, when I think and say that I came from and am included in and always will be in perfect, all good relationship with Papa, with Jesus, and with grace, well, then it's more personal. Actual beings with names and distinction and intimate experiential knowing, entities that I'm with all the time and that I communicate with and do life with. Now, maybe it's not just me, but when I think of my father, who I call Papa, 
it means so much more to me than just thinking of God. One of my friends who I interviewed this week for a uh, podcast that you all will see one of these days said that uh, as an adult, after experiencing a tremendous legalistic religion, religious life for years, one of those days, 14 years ago, Jesus just showed up to her unexpectedly. A huge bright light filled her. It was amazing. And she ran out of the house. She was an adult at the time. She ran out of the house and said, Daddy, your baby girl is home. That's what she said. She realized God is her daddy. And she was home with him. Now, it seemed to me that that was true for Jesus, too. I mean, he always referred to him as father or Abba. In that Aramaic language, that meant Papa. That's what we would say today, Papa. Did you know that in the entire history of Judaism, in all the existing books of the Old Testament, and all the existing books of extra-biblical Jewish writings dating from the beginnings of Judaism until Jesus, there is not a single reference of a Jewish person addressing God directly in the first person as Father. Not a one. Jesus was the first Jewish person, the first Jewish rabbi to call God Father. And that was a radical departure from tradition. And in fact, every recorded prayer we have from the lips of Jesus, he calls God Father. He never says, dear God. He calls him Father. The reason that many of Jesus' enemies sought to destroy him was that he just like came right out and said he had this intimate personal relationship with the sovereign God of heaven and the creator of all things. And he dared to speak in such intimate terms with God. What is even more radical in all of that is what Jesus says to us when he says to you and to me, when you pray, say, our father. Don't say, God, oh, God. No, pray, our father. Throughout the New Testament, the writers refer to the Father as Abba or Papa. Now, for me, using a more intimate, very personal name is helpful. The name God, for me, is impersonal, sterile, and separate. Now, I know that some people feel that it's disrespectful to call God something, you know, other than God. And that's fine. We're not right or wrong with that. It's just that you know, what Jesus did seemed to work for him and it seems to work for me. That's why God, Jesus, came to show us exactly what God is like, who God really is. And he didn't have people call him God. I want to ask you a question today. See if you can answer it to yourself, first person rather than third person. Here's the question. How do you experience God? How do you experience God? Now, there are a myriad of ways, of course. I'm going to start with this. For me, I experience Papa's goodness personally when I know that he knows that I'm always looking for blue flowers. We have a lot of flowers in our yard. Our neighbors have a lot. But rarely do I find a blue one. And one day, a couple of days ago in the morning, he said, hey, Paul, come over here. Walk over to this tomato plant in your neighbor's yard. And we're friends with our neighbors. We can walk in their yard and that kind of stuff. So I went over there and he said, I want to show you something. Look what I made for you. 
And there was a beautiful blue flower coming out of that tomato plant. That there were several of them, actually. That's just one of the very personal ways that I relate to God. Answer that question yourself. I wish I could hear your answers, but I want to prompt you to use your imagination and really listen to God and experience God personally. Here's a good quote from Richard Rohr. He says, the goodness of God fills all the gaps of the universe without discrimination or preference. God is the gratuity of absolutely everything. Now, gratuity is a gift. We usually use the word tip instead, T-I-P, as in tipping a waitress or giving a waitress a gratuity. You know what tip stands for, T-I-P? It, it stands for to ensure promptness. Originally, you gave a tip in advance to ensure promptness. We've gotten away from that in religion. God actually did that to us. He gave us a gratuity, a gift in advance to assure that we'd get it. Now, we have unfortunately, as a human race, turned a tip into a religious tit-for-tat thing. Like, you do a good job, and then I'll bless you. And we've said, that's the way God is. You know, God blessed us long before we even came to earth with every spiritual blessing there is. God is the goodness glue, Richard Rohr says. The love that holds the dark and light of things together, the free energy that carries all death across the great divide and transmutes it into life. Grace, he says, is what God does to keep all things God has made in love alive forever. Grace is not something God gives. He says, grace is who God is. He says, if we're to believe the primary witnesses, an unexplainable goodness is at work in the universe. Did you get that? Grace is what God does to keep all things God has made in love alive forever. Grace is who God is. When you Google <clears throat> who is God, you get thousands of articles. I mean, there are 45,000 different Christian denominations, let alone other religions, and hundreds of thousands of independent churches not affiliated with the denomination. They all have a different understanding of who God is. Well, who is God to you? Not what, but who is God to you? I want to help you see and know God in a different way than just intellectually, just knowing man-made definitions of who and what God is. You know, <laughs> the most common word in scripture that we translate as God is actually, I am that I am. Moses said, who are you? And he says, I am that I am. He didn't say God Almighty. He said, I am that I am. I want to help you see and know I am that I am in maybe a different way than intellectually knowing man-made ideas and concepts that you were taught in Sunday school or by religious organizations or that leaders came up with in translations. Again, for me, it's using a more intimate, very personal name is helpful to get there. may not be for you, and that's okay. It, just for me, the word God is impersonal, sterile, formal, and separate. You know, ever since Adam and Eve, people have had different concepts and different names for God. That's part of why the only true God, Jesus, came to show us exactly who I am is and what he's like. 
And Jesus never had people call him God, ever. Now, please hear me. I'm not saying my way is the right way or the only way. It simply works for me. And it's been helpful to many others whom I've helped come into an ever deeper personal relational experience with Papa, Jesus, and grace. So today we're going to start, I'm going to do this for two or three weeks. I want to really start to look at the third person of the Trinity. The scripture sometimes, but not always, calls the Spirit or Holy Spirit, or that very unfortunate name in the King James, the Holy Ghost. That's just spooky. Jesus tells us that God is spirit, and God loves for us to worship in spirit and in truth. John 4, 21 to 24. Here's what he tells the woman at the well. He says, the time has come when you will worship the Father, neither on a mountain nor in Jerusalem, but in your heart. And he says, I am, God is spirit. And he longs to have sincere worshipers in the realm of the spirit and in truth. Did you know that Jesus referred to spirit more than a hundred times in the four gospels? And of course, Jesus spoke Aramaic. And the word spirit in Aramaic is feminine. I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit is feminine. I'm saying that being dogmatic about the spirit of God being male has no basis in scripture. Jesus said God is spirit. Now, the only reason we tend to call the Holy Spirit a hymn is because it's not in the original words. <laughs> they are pronouns that the translators added centuries after scripture was written. Now, if you've had a bad experience with the male authority figure, or especially if you've been abused in religious settings, primarily by male authority figures, you don't need to call the Holy Spirit a hymn. Worship in spirit and truth. Worship in grace, grace in you, the spirit of truth, the spirit of Christ who is truth. Worship involves Papa, Jesus, and grace. The actual Greek word that we translate as worship means to kiss the hand towards someone in a gesture of love. Worship is simply love in us, responding to love in us. It's not going to a place, to a building, and singing a song or reciting a prayer or going through a ritual. You can call that worship if you want, but the original concept of worship is in spirit. Love in us, responding to love, spirit in us. Love, grace in us, is responding to Papa love in us, as us, and through us. Well, what does that look like? It looks like Christ in us, living as us. All right, let's look at some things that Jesus said about the Spirit. John 14, 16, and 17. Jesus said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another of the same kind Savior. That's what he says. He will give you another Savior, the Holy Spirit of truth, who will be to you a friend, Jesus says, just like me, and will never leave you. Now, there are words, him, in this that are inserted by translators. I'm going to go ahead and read them, but they're not in there. It says, the world won't receive him because they can't see him or know him. But you know him intimately because he remains with you and will live inside of you. Again, he and him are not in the original text. That's very easy to look up in interlinear Bibles. Jesus is speaking here in Aramaic in the language that he spoke when he spoke it. Spirit is 
feminine. Neither masculine or feminine are accurate. I know I'm going over that several times, yet both masculine and feminine are accurate because God is spirit and we're made in God's image, male and female. Now, when the Bible was written and studied and taught, up until a couple of hundred years ago, all societies were male-driven patriarchal societies. Women had no rights, were treated as property, most couldn't read, and the male translators wouldn't even consider using a female pronoun to describe the Holy Spirit, even though that's what Jesus did. And my point is, I, I just want you to get this. There's no right or wrong word to call the Spirit of God. In my opinion, though, Holy Ghost is just spooky. The Greek word is pneuma, which is neuter, it's not male or female, and it means spirit or wind or breath. And the King James translators called it ghost. Just spooky to me, but whatever. John 16, 13, in the mirror. Now, Francois, he didn't do this when he started translating the mirror, but he does now in the, re the newest editions. John 16, 13, this is what Jesus says. Here's how Francois translates it in the mirror. When she is come, the spirit of truth, she will take you by the hand. I mean, that's about as personal as you can get and guide you into the path of all truth. The Holy Spirit, whom I call grace, you can call whatever you want. The Holy Spirit takes you by the hand and guides you into the path of all truth. By the way, truth is a feminine word as well. He goes on to say, she will not draw attention to herself, but will communicate and unveil everything she hears and discerns from a heavenly perspective about the things that are about to happen within you. Holy Spirit will endorse, Jesus says, my opinion of you by taking that which is mine and interpreting it in you. He says, the Father and I enjoy all things in common, even to the finest detail. Because this is so, I said that the close companion, different word for Holy Spirit, esteems my glory and lays a hold of that which is in me and declares it to you from heaven's point of view. The relationship between the Son and the Spirit is present and constant, says Vincent in his word study. So, let me just summarize and getting ready to close here. A few of the things that the Holy Spirit of truth, again, the word for truth is also feminine. Let me just summarize a few things that the Holy Spirit of truth and a few of the things that I would say grace is and does. This according to Jesus. Grace is your friend, just like Jesus. Grace will never leave you. You can't see grace. It's like the wind, but you can see the effects of grace. You can know grace intimately. Grace lives in you. Grace takes you by the hand and guides you into all truth. Grace communicates to you what Jesus and Papa think of you, and it's all good. Grace communicates to you what is happening in you. Grace worships as you, through you. And it gets even better. Many of you know that I wrote a book called Grace Is. It's a good book. I still agree with everything I wrote in it. But I've learned a lot more in the last five years since I wrote it. I would add more to it if I wrote it again. Look at this, Ephesians 2, 4 to 10. Paul says this, even while we were still spiritually dead, God still loved us with such great love. He is so rich in compassion and mercy. Even when we were dead and doomed in our many sins, he united us into the very life of Christ and saved us by his wonderful grace. When you realize grace is a person, distinct, one with father and son, he says, grace 
saved you. Grace saved you. Goes on to say, God raised us up with Christ, the exalted one, and we ascended with him into the glorious perfection and authority of the heaven realm. For we are now co-seated with Christ in heaven. Verse 7, through the coming ages, we will be the visible display of the infinite riches of his grace. You and I are the display of grace, which was showered upon us in Jesus Christ. You are the visible display of all the infinite riches of God's grace. Verse 8, Ephesians 2, is for by grace, he says, for by grace, you have been saved through the faith of Christ. Nothing you did could ever earn this salvation for it was the love gift from God that brought us to Christ. So nobody will ever be able to boast for salvation is never a reward for good works or human striving. You've heard this a thousand times. You can quote it. By grace, you have been saved. Well, who saved you? Did Jesus save you? Well, actually, grace saved you. Grace, who is another savior, just like Jesus in Jesus' words. Jesus saved you, grace saved you. Grace in you, the Holy Spirit, revealed your salvation to you at a certain point in time. You didn't get God to save you. Grace saved you and revealed that to you at a certain point in your life. Ephesians 1, 2, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, Jesus, and grace. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Before the creation of the world, grace chose you and included you. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. You and I and all people were included, saved, made whole, made one with in the family before the creation of the world by grace, who has freely been given in us in Christ. See, unless you see that grace is the Holy Spirit, you won't see the Trinity in those verses. Here's the mirror version of this verse in Ephesians 2, and then I'll close. By grace, you are saved by the gift of Christ's faith. Grace reveals who we are, and the faith of Christ persuades us of it. Grace is who God is. As Jesus is in this world, so are you. Grace is your Savior. Grace is God's gift to you. Grace is in you, and you are one with grace. Meditate on that, folks. I hope that's encouraging. Certainly is to me. We'll talk more next time. Hey, love you all. Thanks so much for being with us. Grow in grace. Thank you for listening to Grace to All. For more about us, how we can serve you, and our special guest, please visit www.gracewithpaulgray.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and to join our Facebook group, Grace to All where you'll be inspired and awakened to more truth that you can handle.